0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Thought I wasn't going to be able to get an episode out today. Turns out this whole feed transfer situation went a lot quicker than expected. So here I am. I went to uh, Texas this past week, so that's where I was last week. No episodes. And felt kind of lost. Like I I was missing something to my week when I wasn't able to put out an episode. So I'm glad that I'm back doing this. Um... I love doing this, so today's episode is strictly going to be about basketball, pretty much, because so much has happened. There was a, a great game last night on Tuesday between the Suns and the Clippers down to the wire, incredible last-second play call by Monty Williams, Jay Crowder with a dime to DeAndre Ayton, slams it down, Suns win by one, and on top of all that, The Sixers getting eliminated in seven games to the Atlanta Hawks. Ben Simmons coming up short. He has been, Ben Simmons and Doc Rivers have been at the forefront of the scrutiny from the media. Sixers fans, NBA fans alike. It seems like it's falling on their shoulders. So we get to talk about all of that. And some coach firings and hirings. We actually will start right now because as I started recording this, Woj tweeted out that the Celtics are finalizing an agreement to hire Brooklyn Nets assistant Ime Udoka as the franchise's new coach. I hope I said that right. I think I said that right. But he will be the new head coach of the Boston Celtics. Truth be told, I don't know a lot about Udoka or his history as a coach. Or I think he had a little short burst as a player in the NBA. Um, but a day ago, he emerged as the front runner. Him and Chauncey Billups were at the forefront of these conversations. All I know is this dude has been spoken very highly of. Uh, he had a time with the Spurs, uh, and then his time with the Nets, and now he's going to be a head coach for the Boston Celtics. And he was an assistant for San Antonio for around six years before being with Brooklyn. So he has experience being an assistant coach and the like. So now getting a, a head coaching opportunity. As for other head coaches around the league, the two big ones, Stan Van Gundy, out after one year as the New Orleans Pelicans head coach and that was announced, I thought it was very slick what the, Pelican, what the Pelicans did. They announced this move in the midst of CP3 and Kawhi Leonard being ruled out of Game 1. This is when the news about CP3 being in uh, COVID protocol, health and safety protocols. As soon as that news dropped, like 30 minutes after, it was announced that Stan Van Gundy would be out as... The Pelicans' head coach, after just one year of being a coach, what what happened with Stan Van Gundy is honestly what I thought was going to happen to Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks. Um, they're like a little bit old school. Uh, Thibs obviously is known for like playing his stars and riding his stars really hard, and uh, being he, he's a tough coach and. I didn't think that was necessarily the right move. I thought maybe the Knicks would have thrived going in a different direction, a younger direction. Um, And it worked out for them. Obviously, Tibbs won coach of the year, and the Knicks made the playoffs. They won 40-plus games. It was all sunshines and rainbows until they got trounced by the Hawks. And Van Gundy was what I thought was what happened with Tibbs. Tibbs proved me wrong. I've said that before. I was wrong about him, and I'm very happy with the way that whole situation turned out for New York. But with Van Gundy, that's exactly what happened. Uh, He's an older school kind of coach. He thrived with the magic. uh, A half-court, slower team, having a big man as his dominating player with Dwight Howard. His scheme worked with that magic team. It didn't work with this Pelicans team. So he runs a very slow team, half-court style kind of play. This Pelicans team is the exact opposite. They love getting in transition. They're fast. They're young. They're big. And Van Gundy just did not play to any of their strengths. Zion is a menace in transition. Lonzo Ball, as a point guard, although he he... took great leaps this year. He fixed his jump shot. He had a career high and three-point percentage. He was a reliable shooter in the half court. That's all well and good, but he's your starting point guard. And when you're not utilizing, utilizing him correctly in the half court or just in general, he becomes a, a guy who is relegated to standing in the corner and just being a spot-up shooter, which is not his play style at all. So he didn't utilize Lonzo, Lonzo Ball correctly. Zion, even though he came pretty close probably to making an all-NBA team and was uh, a stud this year in his second year, obviously he posted all-career highs. Um, Brandon Ingram didn't really make that, that money headlines like he did last year. He kind of fell to the back burner. It felt like I didn't hear much about Brandon Ingram this year. So they just... They have a very young and talented team and Van Gundy just didn't capitalize really on any of it. And, you know, they f- had a dog shit record. They didn't finish uh, nearly as high as some people predicted them to. I, I kind of thought they had a chance of making the playoffs this year, to be honest with you. Um, but nothing worked for them. Nothing worked. And now they have Well, looks like it's going to be an interesting offseason. Um, Lonzo Ball... I believe, is a free agent. Van Gundy's gone. So now you got Brandon Ingram and Zion. There's already reports that Zion Williamson's family isn't happy with how the team is built and he's, he's not happy in New Orleans, etc., etc. Those are all just rumors. He obviously hasn't addressed any of that or really given anything outside of like him saying he loves playing in Madison Square Garden. He hasn't given any real indication that he's unhappy. In New Orleans, uh, but there seems to be some discourse in the New Orleans Pelicans franchise right now, and Brandon Ingram, I don't know how happy he is, I mean, he got a a pretty good contract, could have gotten more, but he seems to be the only sure thing right now. I mean, obviously, Zion's not going anywhere, the Pelicans aren't trading him, he's still on the contract for years, so no need to worry about that, Pelicans fans, and Truth be told, he'll probably end up signing that massive extension and then force a trade out. If he's going to leave, that's what's going to happen. But Van Gundy and the Pelicans, he's, he's off. He gets to, I, I, I would think he's going back to TV. Um, he was out of the league for a while as a head coach, gets into TV for, what, a year, two years? He was with TNT, right? Um, I actually liked him as a, as a color commentator. He leaves, gets another head coaching opportunity, fails miserably, falls on his face. I think it's time to hang it up uh, as a head coach for Stan Van Gundy. Go back
1: to television. You you probably have a role there. Like Someone's going to hire you for that, and it'll all work out. Interested to see who takes up that. Maybe someone like Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson is a great
0: coach. We saw what he did with the Nets. Didn't get an opportunity. Uh, now you have, you know, Steve Nash here as the Nets head coach who's just a figurehead. He doesn't really do anything. Um, and we saw that in the Bucks series, which we get to talk about that as well. Again, lots to talk about. So Kenny Atkinson could be someone, you know, taking a young team, um, a lot of young talent, cultivate them into a more disciplined winning team. I would like to see him trying and, and at least get an interview with that instead of all these these same guys. Jason Kidd's name, Chauncey Billups—they're all in the running for coaches. And I, I, Jason Kidd is—he should not be a head coach, flat out. I keep saying seeing his name get thrown into these conversations in terms of who's going to get this head coaching role uh, for this team and that team. And then like Damian Lillard came out and said he wanted for the Trailblazers, and he said no. It's weird that all these people want Jason Kidd to be a head coach. He, has, he hasn't proven he's a good head coach at all. Just just lead, let him be an assistant. Chauncey Billups obviously is a high IQ kind of guy. Um, so I, I would like to see. He could get a, a shot as a head coach. I wouldn't be mad at that. Um, I, I think he would be a head or, better head coach already than Steve Nash, if we're being honest. But. The Pelicans have a head coach vacancy, and now, also, the bigger news is Rick Carlisle. Carlisle announced that he is stepping down as the head coach for the Dallas Mavericks. He informed Mark Cuban
1: of his decision. Um, I don't think his contract was up, but I think he's just stepping down. And Carlisle
0: was one of those guys. he, He had been there for years. Won a championship with the Mavericks, obviously, against the Miami Heat. And he had, he had been there for a long time. Um, one of the mainstays in the NBA was Rick Carlisle being the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. Mark Cuban, I don't think, was ever going to fire him. I just don't really—Mark th- Cuban is a very loyal dude. Um, I, I just don't really think he would be the type of guy to fire Rick Carlisle when, you know, they're competing in the West. They make the playoffs and all that. Um, they lose in the first round this year to the Clippers. In seven games, even though game seven was a complete wash, uh, they, they went seven games with the Clippers and they lost. Dallas is in a very tricky situation here. Kristaps um, Porzingis has already come out and said that he's a little frustrated with being relegated to like a, a spot-up three-point shooter. He doesn't really feel like a true number two player to Luka Doncic which was what they were really going for. But let me tell you something about the Dallas Mavericks and their situation. Kristaps Porzingis was brought in to be their number two. But this dude cannot stay healthy. And not only that, he gets out-rebounded by guys who are a foot shorter than him. He he is not an effective rebounder for someone who's 7'2", 7'3", whatever obnoxious height he is. He's not a very good rebounder. And, you know, he blocks shots and stuff like that, but against other big men, he's not the best defender. He gets moved pretty easily. He doesn't have any, a whole lot of weight to him. And really, he, he's been relegated to a three point position, uh, a three point corner shooter, because he's been hurt so much that the Mavericks essentially had to completely revamp their team to even stay afloat while he missed all these games. Like, no offense, but you shouldn't be the one to be bitching and moaning about how you don't feel like you're uh, a, a number two because you're not even, like, you're not doing much. If you just go look at his stat lines throughout the playoffs, he's he's a role player. He's not he's not even close to being a number two, but I, I think that falls heavy on him as well. Um, and it's equal parts because Luka's a very... Interesting player. Obviously, he's super ball dominant. He can get you triple doubles. He's a great
1: playmaker. But he certainly, right now at least, is a tough person to play with. I mean, I I don't know
0: if you can really have a true number two next to Luka Doncic. Because he is the system. You know, you talk about head coaches and, oh, no, their system doesn't work. Uh, they need guys to, to work with
1: this. No, Luka Doncic is the system. And that's just the way it is. LeBron James is the system.
0: Right? He's that kind of level of player where you adapt to them. They don't adapt to you. They're that, they're that talented in both playmaking and scoring. You know, there's only a select few guys who are like that. Right? Steph Curry is the system. So I'm not really sure, like, because Luca's is so ball dominant and we, we've seen him, his shot selection, I think, could use a little work, especially late in games. His pace of play might need to pick up a little bit, especially when the Mavericks find themselves down. And, you know, I, I would rather him not take those step back 35 foot <laughs> jump shots when your team's down five in the final two minutes of the game. When they go in, obviously, it's electric, but, uh, you know, the percentage isn't great. And there was a bit of a trend in that first series against the Clippers where his fourth quarter production, his second half production, really, took a, a nosedive during, during those games. Um, especially his shot percentage, specifically, is what I'm talking about. So the Mavericks have to find someone. I don't know what the deal with Kristaps Porzingis is. If I don't know if they're going to be able to find a head coach that can come in and either work Kristaps more into the offense so he's more effective or try and take the reins away from Luka a little bit offensively and make it more of like a rounded offense instead of just, you know, giving
1: Luka the ball and say, hey, here, go get us a basket. They're also in a very interesting spot. Last bit of news before we get into the
0: playoffs. Kemba Walker, his time in Boston has come to an end. So, we mentioned Boston getting their new head coach. And before I went on that week hiatus, Brad Stevens had ascended from his coaching role to a front office role. His first move in the front office for the Boston Celtics is to trade away Kemba Walker. There were rumblings that Kemba wasn't happy, and I,
1: you know, him and the Celtics had mutual interest in parting ways. And that's exactly what happened. So, Kemba Walker and the number 16 overall pick in this year's draft. A 2025 second round pick.
0: Go to Oklahoma City for Al Horford, who's on an expiring contract. He comes back to Boston. Moses Brown and a 2023 second round pick. So, you look at that and you say... What the hell is Boston doing? That is a dog shit trade. That's what I thought originally. But if you just take a step back and realize what's happening, Boston is making a play. They might not make the playoffs next year. They got rid of Kemba. They still essentially have the same team. They don't really have any cap space. Uh, Al Horford has still a pretty big contract, but it's expiring. So he trades for Al Horford, Moses Brown, who truth be told, I don't really know much about. And a second round pick. So the second round pick's not really, you know, that's whatever. Moses Brown, not a game changer. I really don't know much about him. And Al Horford, who's on that huge expiring contract. When he's gone, the Celtics are in a position to sign a third star, I believe, to a max contract. That's the position that they are trying to put themselves in for the 2023 season. As for 2022, they might sign a role player here and there, whatever. But I don't think they're going to be able to get anyone significant this year. So that's their their deal. That's where they're really trying to line themselves up for. As for Oklahoma City, they get another first round draft pick. The 16th overall pick this year. And Kemba Walker to pair up with someone like Shea Gilgis Alexander. And... It's a chance for Kemba to revitalize himself, much like Chris Paul did. So, for those of you who don't remember, I know everyone's kind of got a short-term memory, but for those of you who don't remember, Chris Paul, after his time with Houston, getting traded to Oklahoma City, people thought that was the end. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't going to find himself back in the playoffs, let alone the, the, the Western Conference Finals. His his career was coming to a closing chapter and he was gonna finish out his contract probably in Oklahoma City and that would be the end of Chris Paul. Not the case. He leads Oklahoma City to a record that I don't remember what the record was, but I know no one expected them to be that good. He leads them to the playoffs. You know, obviously they don't make it far, but still he took a very young team of scrappy guys and led them to the playoffs, and everyone kinda took a step back and said, wait a minute. Chris Paul's really got a lot left in the tank. Just because he was injured a couple years in in Houston and they weren't able to reach the finals with him and Harden, that didn't mean that he was done. It just meant that that chapter in his career in Houston didn't work out. He goes to Oklahoma City, takes a ragtag group of guys, and leads
1: them to the playoffs, which no one really expected. Then, obviously, he gets traded to Phoenix, and here we are, the Suns in the Western Conference Finals.
0: Kemba, I'm not saying Kemba, ha- Kemba is not on the same tier as Chris
1: Paul. It's not what I'm saying at all. But this is a dude who was a multiple time All Star in Charlotte.
0: He made one All NBA team back in 2018, I think it was. So this is a guy who thrived in Charlotte. He was considered someone who was a very good point guard, but more or less slept on because he was on a bad Charlotte team for several years before they got good for a couple years
1: and then they got bad again. He leaves. Everyone says rightfully so. Um, He goes to Boston. First year is COVID. Second year, he's injured a bunch.
0: Never really got his footing in Boston, and it just didn't work out. So they traded him two years into his contract. It happens. But now this is a time for Kemba to go back, a place like Oklahoma City, which is the same kind of market as Charlotte. Yes, he got good fans, whatever, yada, yada, but you're not getting national attention as a team. Obviously, Charlotte not getting national attention, but someone like LaMelo Ball is because, you know, media. He has a chance to go to Oklahoma City and revitalize himself and, and show everyone that, hey, I can still play, right? My time in Boston wasn't great, but I'm still a very good basketball player. As for the rest of the league, NBA playoffs, two huge upsets. The Nets, we'll start with them. Uh, maybe not as big an upset as the other one, which is the Sixers-Hawks. However... Losing in seven games to the Bucs, uh after going up 2-0. They had injury issues the entire series. Kyrie goes out uh, with his ankle injury. He never comes back to play in the series. James Harden, from the get-go, really, in the beginning of the playoffs, was never uh, right. He had uh, a hamstring issue that... Didn't make him the same kind of player he was. It definitely uh, diminished his play on the court, uh, especially defensively, which, I mean, Harden's not a a great defender, but he was, I mean, I could have ran past Harden on defense. Like, he, he was so immobile defensively and just not as versatile as he usually is offensively. So basically, it was the KD show. And Durant did what Durant does, which is ball out. I mean, this dude was, he went crazy. And even in game seven, which they lost, it went into overtime and had it not been for his quote, big ass feet, he would have hit the game winning shot and the Nets would be playing the Hawks in the Eastern Conference finals. Uh, So basically in that game seven, Katie hits a turnaround jumper, looks like it's a three. Quick review shows that his foot is clearly on the line by maybe an inch, not even. So incredibly close to coming to hitting a game-winning three. But the game goes into overtime. He's gassed. The Nets are gassed. Uh, the Bucks are also gassed. But they managed to pull it out and win game seven. Make the 2-0 comeback to defeat the Brooklyn Nets, who were the favorite probably going into the playoffs. I mean, I thought they were for sure going
1: to win. But it shows that they need all three guys to be healthy. Uh, Durant, don't get me wrong, played a hell of a series. The guy is unbelievable. Arguably the best player in the league
0: now. Like if you want to, because of that performance, if you want to say, like he surpassed LeBron or whoever else you had at number one, be my guest, I probably won't argue with you. He, I mean, coming off the injury he had, you know, not playing a whole lot this season. To come into the playoffs and play the way he did, unquestionably being the best player on the Nets, you got to tip your cap to him. He was unbelievable and so much fun to watch. The Bucks, Giannis... Giannis had a, a rough few first games. A lot of people clowned him for not guarding Kevin Durant, especially that game where Durant had like a 50-point triple-double or whatever. Like, he, he was incredible, and Giannis didn't guard him. That was a whole big shtick that people, including myself, were getting mad at. Uh, he fixed it up a little bit in the, past, in the last two games of the series. And then in Game 7, he, I mean, he did, he played really well. He stopped taking dumb shots, stopped putting up three-pointers. I think he maybe took two three-point shots in the last three games combined. Just completely stopped taking shots from beyond the arc, which is what he needs to do. He can't take jump shots, and, you know, he had a couple of, of instances where, you know, one instance that comes to mind that a lot of people talked about is during a, a possession where the Bucks needed a basket. He's got James Harden on him, who's playing on one leg. And he does a turnaround baseline jumper. He never hits those. Like, I would love to see the percentage. I can't imagine he shoots more than 30% on that shot. Couldn't imagine. So that's a bad shot. Like, his, he cleaned up his shot looks. Uh, his shot attempts as the series progressed. No doubt about it. And he played better for that. Uh, obviously, free throws are still a problem for him. but. Regardless of all of that, Chris Middleton played well. Drew Holiday, even though he was horrendous in Game Seven, shot three for his last six, which were in like the final three minutes of the basketball game. That really helped the Bucks out. Like they got the baskets when they needed to most, and the Nets didn't. And for KD to airball the game, I think I don't know if it was game tying or game winning shot for the Nets in overtime to airball it. And to have that be the last shot of the next season was definitely a heartbreaker for them. Um, very anticlimactic, but it is what it is. And, you know, Durant, he, he said, like, it's just, like, that's basketball. Um, and they'll be back. Obviously, the Nets will be back. They got all three of those guys returning. A whole season, another, basically, KD had this, almost this entire year off, went in on the playoffs. I think he played every minute of game 6 and 7. So, he showed that he can play those kind of minutes if asked. Uh obviously he's not going to play those kind of minutes in the regular season, but for ha- for having not played pretty much the entire regular season this year, he was pretty fresh come the playoffs and he was ready to go and he he went he went hard getting hurt at the end of the season, missed like the last 20 games. That sucked for the Nets, and then of course Kyrie Irving, being the injury-prone player he is, um,
1: got injured, hurt his hurt his ankle, and I, I think that out of all three guys, I think that Kyrie is the biggest question mark. Um, Durant, if you look at his career, he's been
0: relatively healthy. Uh, that Achilles really fucked him up, something fierce, and we know that. But he's come back now. He's proven that he can play and the same level he was playing at pre-Achilles during this playoff run, he's proven it. So I don't think Durant's health should be in question moving forward. James Harden has never really been a huge injury guy um, that I can think of. He's, he's more or less been very healthy his entire career. Uh, this, this hamstring injury, hamstrings are very da- uh, dangerous. They are an injury that is well known throughout multiple sports to be injuries that linger if you don't let them heal fully. I don't know if that's happened if that's what happened with Harden. It seems that way. Um I think he actually committed to play for Team USA in the Olympics, which is, I mean, he's not actually gonna play. He's gonna go there and party with Team USA and and, and chill out in the like Olympic bubble. But for him. That hamstring injury is something that is very delicate, and it proved that it lingered for a long time. And he was able to play in the playoffs, and he was able to even play a whole 48 minutes in game six, I believe. He played all 48 minutes with Durant, which is on one leg, you got you to gotta salute him. Clearly, he wasn't 100%. If you watched him play, he wasn't even close. But to go out there and play, you know Harden has like, the grit and determination to go out and play through an injury like that. But now for him, his main objective is to heal up the hammy and be ready to go for next season, and he'll be fine. I don't think Harden is at any risk to re-injure himself, he, unless it's, it's something different. But honestly, he like I said, his track record is pretty good. Kyrie is the only one whose track record is not good. He was hurt a few times in Cleveland. During a, play, during a playoff run with LeBron back in 2015, as, as far back as that, in their first playoff run to play the
1: Warriors, he got injured uh, in the first game of the finals, I think it was. And then in Boston, he had a, a string of
0: injuries that kept him out for prolonged periods of time. And last year with the Nets, he missed him and Durant essentially missed the entire year. He played like two months. That obviously wasn't great for Brooklyn, but it was really about looking to the future. Like, ah, who cares about this year? Kyrie can sit out, he can be healthy. And next year, the Nets will come in and be really good. And Durant and Kyrie, they started the year, they got hard in, they all only played together eight games. And then they played really well in the first round of the playoffs. Kyrie goes down in, I think, game two. Against the Bucs, they're up to nothing. Harden's hurt at the end of the year, and things kind of just start falling apart health-wise for the Nets. And you know, basketball's it's
1: fickle like that. Like there's real, there's nothing you can do about that. When healthy, I, I think it's unquestionable that they were the best
0: team in the league when healthy. But health is a huge part of the game. If your guys aren't healthy to get on the court you're not going to be successful. And Kyrie is the biggest question mark when it comes to that. His health has been a concern for a few years now. This is his second year with the Nets. Yes, he was healthy throughout this season. He took a bunch of personal days, which some people didn't care. Some people thought he, didn't, uh, he wasn't taking it seriously or he was being you know, one of those egomaniacs where he was like, ah, I don't feel like playing, I'm going to take the day off. Uh, but in the end... The Nets finished at the top of the Eastern Conference. I think they had the second seed. And Kyrie finished with a 50-40-90 season. So the results were there. Like, they they played well. And, of course, during this playoff run, high-intensity minutes,
1: uh, expected a little bit more out of your players during the playoff run, Kyrie hurts his ankle. Now, I'm not blaming him. Injuries happen, but... You know, his his health hasn't, it, it it doesn't instill the most confidence. Like if you ask
0: a Nets fan, are you confident Kyrie can play a whole season? And by a whole season, let's assume it's 82 games next year. Can Kyrie play 60, 65 plus games next year and then be healthy for an entire playoff run? I don't know if he can. I just don't know if his body can hold up to that. I really don't. So for me, that's probably the biggest question mark going into next season for the Nets. Of course, the Bucks advance, and they play the Hawks, who beat the Sixers in seven games. Now, for the 76ers, by the way, Bucks hawks tips off uh, this wen- uh, tonight on Wednesday. So that's going to be something. Uh, game one, we'll see how the Hawks, if they can keep it rolling. Obviously, they took down the number one-seeded Sixers. See if they can keep it rolling against the Bucs. But that game's tonight at 8.30 on TNT. Obviously, next week, I'll be talking about that series. And after we get done with the Sixers, we'll move into Suns Clippers, which is currently already two games in. So
1: Western Conference a little bit ahead of the Eastern Conference. But for the Sixers, they lose to the Hawks. And this is the
0: second time in NBA history where both number one seeds didn't make the conference finals. The other is 1994. So the Jazz and the Sixers eliminated. Jazz lose to the Clippers, who won four straight games to knock off the number one seeded Jazz in six games, which, of course, I predicted. uh, Maybe not six games. I don't know if I actually gave a number. But. Jazz second round loss playoff exit is the biggest guarantee I can give year in and year out in the NBA, just like clockwork. It really is. Uh, so they come back and win four straight to beat the Jazz. And then, of course, the, uh, the Sixers now losing to the Hawks in seven games. Now, uh,
1: generally speaking, it's not the smartest thing to always just like blame one person
0: when a team gets upset in the playoffs. Uh, It's very difficult to do that. I know a lot of people do it, and it's just usually out of irrational anger and disappointment, et cetera, et cetera. But in this case, this year, there are two specific people to blame,
1: and I I think that would be pretty fair to say. So for the Sixers, Ben Simmons and Doc Rivers,
0: are probably the two people you can pinpoint as to why the Sixers were not able to defeat the Hawks, who don't have an all-star, even though Trey Young has made an all-star team. They didn't have an all-star this year.
1: And generally, they're just a young, inexperienced playoff team. This is a Sixers team who has made playoff runs before, you know? So
0: for that reason... We got to talk about Ben Simmons, and then we'll talk about Doc Rivers,
1: and then we'll talk a little bit about the Suns. Ben Simmons had a horrible, a horrible stretch in the playoffs. Um, he, in fourth quarters this series, during the fourth quarter, the starting point guard for the 76ers, Ben Simmons, this is his shots. Game one, two for two. Game two,
0: didn't attempt a shot. Game three, one for one. Games four, five, six, and seven, he didn't attempt a single shot in the fourth quarter. Not only that, but I think for the last three games of the series, he shot a total of 12 times. He went two for four, I believe, in three straight games. He's just not shooting the basketball. One of those games includes an abysmal. I believe he finished 3 of 14 from the line. He finished an all-time NBA history low in
1: field uh, free throw percentage for a playoff series. He shot 15 for 45,
0: 33% on foul shots against Atlanta, and just 34.2% from the
1: line for the entire playoffs. Horrific horrific free-throw shooting from Ben Simmons. Now you get the question, what is going on with him? He has not even marginally improved his jump shot through his first, what is this, his fourth season? Fifth season? He's, granted, it's
0: tough on him. He's 24 years old. I'm 25. Like, he, he's very young, but this is a guy who's touted as a superstar. He is the one-two punch with him and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is out there giving you 30-plus a night, shooting 60% from the field and, like, 85-plus percent from the free-throw line on one knee. He tore his meniscus. He has, he's playing on one knee. And he's giving you dominant performance after dominant performance. And you have done nothing to improve your game over the past four years. You haven't. Simmons has played 19 second-round playoff games, playing a total of 154 fourth-quarter minutes. In those 154
1: minutes, he has attempted a total of 20 shots. 20 shots. In 154 fourth quarter minutes. Throughout 19 second round playoff games. Astronomically low. And this isn't just because he, he doesn't have a jump shot. He, he stops trying to get to the basket.
0: Period. He doesn't do Anything. He relegates himself to standing in the corner. He just completely dejects himself from the offense. He's not a good half-court player in the, in the playoffs because he doesn't have a jump shot, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't screen, he doesn't roll, he doesn't do anything, right? He's not a lob threat. He just completely takes himself out of the equation during the fourth quarter, and it's, it's mind-boggling. One clip. Everyone saw it. Everyone knows that it was a a totally missed opportunity. Joel Embiid even said that that was the turning point of the game in Game 7. When Ben Simmons goes baseline, has a wide open dunk. Trey Young is the only person in front of him on the baseline, and Danilo Gallinari is on his back. Wide open dunk in front of him. And instead of going up for the layup or the dunk, he passes the ball to Matisse Thibault, who gets fouled and goes one for two from the line. Joel Embiid said that point. He didn't mention names, but we all knew that that was the play he was talking about. He's like, we had a chance for a basket, and instead, we went one of two from the line. That is not Matisse Thibault's fault. That is Ben Simmons' fault. He has a chance for an easy dunk, doesn't take it. You end up getting one point out of the possession. Embiid cited that as the moment where he felt the momentum shifted and they lost control of the basketball game. Now, I can only imagine Joel Embiid is not a
1: shy person. I can only imagine what he's saying or what he has said to Ben Simmons. Now, there are reports coming out that Ben Simmons
0: has been babied. Uh, everyone around him and in his inner circle is family. So basically they don't he he has no one around him that's pushing actively pushing him to be better. Because he has been the same player since he's entered the league. He's actually improved since his first year. He shot 56% his first year, 60, 62 and 61. He's been terrible. So, I mean that's that's horrible
1: percentage-wise, obviously. But He's been the same. There's no improvement. And it's been half that in the playoffs.
0: If he hit 60% of his free throws during this playoff series
1: against the Hawks, the Sixers would be advancing to the next round. But he hit half that. 33%. Imagine playing your whole life, playing basketball your whole life. With
0: the free throw line not moving. It's the same distance from the basket at every level
1: you play at. Playing your whole life playing basketball. And you're not a good free throw shooter. As a guard,
0: like obviously centers, everyone has their own problems. But you are a point guard. You're, you're a guy. Like you are, you have to make your free throws. You have to. It is. Inexcusable to be this bad from the free-throw line. Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, when they were in the league, the the first part of their careers with the Clippers, horrendous free-throw shooters, and it was exposed. People would foul them and put them to the line, and they would miss their free-throws, and it would cost their team's games. It would cost that Clippers team games, especially in the playoffs. Now they're both at least respectable. Blake Griffin has made tremendous strides in his shooting. He's actually a a very reliable free throw shooter now. But DeAndre Jordan isn't like disgustingly bad anymore. He's
1: not an automatic two misses. So, if they can improve, I don't understand why Ben Simmons can't. Like
0: he just hasn't improved at all. Obviously, there is a running theory led by Kevin uh, the Ringers, Kevin O'Connor, a running theory that Ben Simmons shoots with the wrong hand. Uh, There's multiple evidence to display the fact that he shoots with the uh, the wrong hand. He shoots lefty when he's actually a righty. And he himself is also quoted saying he's a righty, but he was taught to shoot lefty. Ben Simmons shoots with the wrong hand. And um, there are other analytical stats out there that show you a lot of his percentages Most of his shots, even going to the basket, are shot
1: with his right hand. For some reason, he was brought up to shoot a jump shot lefty. Something needs to change, whether it's
0: something in his inner circle, whether it's something the Sixers organization can change or not, something needs to change because if the sixers get another year of this same Ben Simmons not only are they screwed out of playoff runs and wasting Joel Embiid but it tanks his, his his trade value you can't trade him if he comes in next year and he looks exactly the same no one's going to want to trade for a 6 foot 10 point guard who can't shoot and doesn't even try to play in the fourth quarter. No one wants that. No one is going to want to trade for him, and you're going to owe him tens
1: of millions of dollars in the next few years. Like 30-plus million dollars. You gave him a lot of money because you thought he would be the guy.
0: The whole prospect of the Sixers being a title contender was that they had two
1: superstars, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Half of that is true. Joel Embiid is a superstar, Ben Simmons is not. Just flat, he just flat out is not. Now I'm going to wrap myself a little bit here, but I said
0: probably about a year ago if the Sixers had to trade, you run it back with the Sixers. If they don't make the finals, I think you might have to blow it up. And I was saying trade Embiid because it's easier to build a team around Simmons. He's a big point guard, can do a lot of things on the court, guard multiple positions, et cetera, et cetera. And it, just, it would just be easier to rebuild around him than it would to, be, to build around Embiid. I was dead wrong. I sound like a jackass. Flat out.
1: Really bad take, and I was wrong. Embiid is the guy, and to avoid—I mean, I would—if you're the Sixers, if
0: anyone gives you like two firsts and like a player for Ben Simmons, I'd trade him. Like, if if Washington is really looking to blow it up, maybe you look
1: to them—two firsts and Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal, maybe. Regardless of any of that, the Sixers have an incredibly important offseason coming up. This
0: will make or break their franchise probably for the next three to four, maybe even five
1: years. Um, And if they mess it up, then longer than that. As for the rest of the teams in the playoffs, Bucks, Hawks, Suns, Clippers,
0: one of these teams is going to win their, their first title in a very long time. Suns Clippers, neither one of those guys. One of those franchises is going to win their first ever Larry O'Brien trophy. Hawks Bucks, neither one of those teams has even been to a finals in decades. Like 30, 40 plus years, probably more. Um, so these guys, they're going to have, you know, a whole multiple generations of fans see their franchise win their first championship in forever so someone new is gonna win which is very 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 cool and if you just look at individual players Giannis can get his first ring Trey Young can get his first ring even though he's obviously the Hawks are very young uh, Lou Will I guess Lou Will can win a ring um, and then CP3 for the Suns Devin Booker and then Paul George on the Clippers can win his first ring. So a lot of guys that you look to that you, you can be happy to see them advance and to see them win. Hawks are probably the least so because they are such a young team. Uh, they're playing out of their minds, but there's not really anyone on that team that I look at and I'm like, wow, I really wish he had a ring, you know? The Bucks kind of the same, but Giannis, of course, is a two-time MVP and Depoy and winner. so. Him not having a ring is something that weighs heavy on him. But even now, to get to the Eastern Conference Finals was a huge step. To beat the Nets and to dethrone the Nets, even though the Nets haven't, hadn't won anything, they were
1: essentially crowned at the beginning of the playoffs. It was like theirs to lose. And the Bucks beat them. So... That series is going to kick off tonight. Suns, Clippers.
0: Last night game 2 between them they won the Suns won by 1 point and it was a wild last 2 minutes of the game I think the last 90 seconds of the game took 30 minutes of real time because there were the same I think there was more more instant replay reviews than shots taken in the last 90 seconds it was like 5 to 4 insanity obviously um One call really ticked me off, as I'm sure a lot of people did, and this was not what instant replay is used for, but Devin Booker getting stripped by Patrick Beverly after replay review. Beverly hits the ball out, but the last person's hand who's on the ball is Devin Booker. By the rule, that's the correct call. But in in retrospect, it's like, why is
1: that rule the way it is? In every strip ball scenario, the original ball handler
0: is going to be touching the ball last. In, every, in almost every scenario where it's someone pokes the ball out of a ball handler and pokes it out of bounds, the original ball handler's hand is going to be the last one to, to be on the basketball. So that rule is really stupid. We've seen it happen. In the playoffs before, we've seen it happen in the NCAA tournament. It's really just a terrible, terrible, terrible rule and a terrible use of instant replay. However, the basketball gods were watching this game intently. It was the only
1: game on last night. And they came down and Paul George was at the end of their wrath. So... So the ball goes out of bounds. They review it. Clippers ball.
0: Clippers get it. Suns foul. Paul George gets sent to the free throw line and he bricks both free throws. And just like that, Suns get the rebound call timeout. Just like that, we're right back where we started, except
1: we're about four seconds less on the game clock. Final possession. Suns get the ball. Booker passes it, I think it was to Crowder, to Bridges in the corner. Bridges
0: misses. Ball gets tipped out by Los Angeles. 0.8 seconds left on the clock. Suns inbound from the baseline. Monty Williams, a genius with this play. He says, I forgot who he said he uh, he stole it from. He stole it from some head coach. But they make a terrific play. Aiton sets a screen. Gets Batum leaning. He makes a break for the basket. Devin Booker sends a hell of a pick on Zubak. Jay Crowder throws a dime to DeAndre Ayton, who slams it down. The ball was over the cylinder, but when you're inbounding the basketball, there is no goaltending. You can grab the ball above the cylinder like that, and he flushed it in immediately. Suns go up one. Trash-talking ensues. Boogie pushes Booker. It was mayhem at the end of the game. 0.3 seconds left. They had to find out how much time was left on the clock. Um, Actually, they put more. They put 0.7 left on the clock, which is, like, impossible. It should have been less, but it didn't matter. Clippers had no timeouts. They had to go to length of the floor. Time expires. Game over. Just when you thought the Clippers were going to steal a game off from the Suns, the basketball gods say nay, and the Suns come out on top by one point. So they go up 2 nothing in the series. Obviously, the Clippers have been in this position before. In the two prior series, down 2-0 to the Mavericks, down 2-0 to the Jazz. They won 7 with the Mavericks, 6 with the Jazz. Who's to say that the Suns don't suffer the same fate? However, I don't think the Clippers are getting Kawhi Leonard back this series. He does have an ACL sprain, I believe it was, not a tear, but I don't think he's coming back this series. Chris Paul should be good to go by Thursday. I'm not entirely certain of that, but he's been out the first two games because of health and safety protocol. Um, and Cameron Payne has been unbelievable. I mean, yes, Devin Booker is great and he's the star of that team. But Cameron Payne subbing in as the starting point guard when he normally comes off the bench has been terrific this entire playoff series. He balled out in the bubble. People kind of attributed it to the the bubble. Oh, he's a bubble player. He's a bubble player. Plays great all year and has had a tremendous playoff run. Tremendous. Filling in for Chris Paul as a starting point guard these two games, he's been nothing short of excellent. He has 18 assists. And one turnover in the first two games of this series. And he went off for 29 last night. He was the high scorer for the Suns. He's been terrific. And now you think in game three, they go to Los Angeles. Chris Paul should be ready to go. There, I don't think there's any reports on that yet, like I said. But if the Suns get Chris Paul back and the Clippers don't get Kawhi back, I can't see how the Clippers pull this one out. The Suns are just, they're a better team than the Mavs, and they're a much better team than the Jazz, even though
1: the Jazz were the number one seed. Their team just doesn't, it doesn't translate in the playoffs. Everyone knows this. But I am very, very, very excited for that series to continue.
0: I'm all in on the Suns. Like, they are are the team that I want to see win. I love Devin Booker. But more than anything than that, I want to see CP3 win his first ring. I, I need that. I need that in my life. First of all, it's going to be his first finals appearance, which is obviously shocking in itself. Second of all, it's not going to be a ring that he wins when he's washed up, goes to a contender, and is like a backup point guard. No. He is a key part of this team. You can argue he's the best player on the team. I say it's still Devin Booker.
1: Like, he's still their, their guy. But Chris Paul is the second op. He's, he's the 1B, you know? And to be
0: playing the way he is this year and has this year, knock on wood, he's been healthy. This, of course, kind of put a wrench in the Suns' plans. But luckily, uh, well, not luckily, they, they worked hard for it. Um, they won the first two games without him so it hasn't been
1: affecting them and if they get him back all the better Suns in 4 And just like that as I check my phone while wrapping up this podcast Chris Haynes Phoenix Suns
0: star Chris Paul intends to make his return for game 3 of the Western Conference Finals against the Los Angeles Clippers barring unforeseen setback league sources tell Yahoo Sports CP3's back. Sun's in four. This podcast is done. Thank you all for listening. Wrapping it up kind of abruptly here, but this has been a long podcast with nothing but basketball. I'm so happy I got to jump on and talk about it. I thought it was going to be another couple days for this transfer feed to finish up, but we're all good. Um, So hope you all enjoyed the episode. Thank you all for listening, and Friday we'll have episode 2 and 3 recap of Loki for uh, the Marvel Podcast episodes on Friday. So I'll talk to you guys then, and thank you all for listening.